Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 17 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. To our listeners in America, we have some good news. Our book, They Walk Among Us, is now available in the US. Ten haunting and gripping cases that you can purchase online in paperback, ebook, or audiobook. Listener caution is advised, as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. He had already spent much of his teenage years in and out of facilities for youth offenders. Edinburgh-born Alistair Thompson, at only 18 years old, was about to commit a heinous crime that would see him put behind bars for over a decade and a half. The young man murdered his 72-year-old grandmother, Margaret Thompson. In a brutal and frenzied assault, Thompson hit her over the head twice with a hammer, stabbing her with a large kitchen knife 16 times. Around this period, he also attempted but ultimately failed to kill a city bus driver. Sentenced at Edinburgh High Court for murder, Thompson would spend the majority of a 16-year jail term predominantly at HMP Perth in Scotland. Leaving prison on licence in 1984, at 34 years old, he was free to begin a new life. Thompson pursued an education while in prison, and he proved to be intelligent and eloquent. His new life started out positively. It appeared as though Alistair had turned over a new leaf. 
At first settling in Perth, he was married with his wife working as a social worker employed in the prison service. But the couple didn't stay together long. Thompson moved to Dundee, Scotland and managed to secure work in an amusement arcade. But like his marriage, the job didn't last. He moved to England for a while, but decided to move back to Dundee in 1992 as part of a prisoner resettlement scheme. He had a room at a hostel in Haldane Terrace ran by Sacro, or the Scottish Association for the Care and Resettlement of Offenders, an organisation that provides ex-offenders with friendship, support and guidance following release. Thompson proved himself to be so trustworthy, he became the unofficial caretaker of the hostel for a short time. On a crisp winter's morning on Wednesday, December 30th, 1992, two Alsatians padded across the snow-dusted grass on a hill near Law Road, a long road through Dundee, ending in a historic landmark, the Dundee Law. The dogs were being taken for a walk by the daughter of a police sergeant, Ronald Fife, like they had many times before. The sergeant in charge of training the dogs made sure they were walked several times a day. They were allowed to venture across the white ground while their walk awaited for them. They became distracted by something, pouring at the ground behind some logs. The young woman walked towards the animals, looking at the ground to see what was holding their attention. She saw several green and black plastic bags on the floor, as the dogs began pulling one open. A human arm was exposed poking out of the hole in the bag. The young woman ran home and told her mother Pamela, who in turn informed the police. Detective Constable Alistair Mackenzie arrived at the law to take pictures of the macabre scene. Only one of the bags had been torn open, but it wasn't until later when DC McKenzie was present during the post-mortem examination that he saw the contents of the other bags retrieved that day. A second bag, wrapped in carrier bags, then a black sack, held the upper torso of a male, and a third bag carried the lower half. A mobile incident room was set up near the law, and authorities continued carrying out a painstaking search. But despite their efforts, no further body parts belonging to the mystery man were found. Inspector Ron Wilkie told the press, We know that the packages were lying at the law for at least two days since Monday at 2pm in the afternoon. Police received a telephone tip-off about further remains possibly being left at a place called Dudhope Park, just over half a mile from the law on foot. After searching the area, more bags with body parts were discovered not too far from the car park, a place where members of the public would have unwittingly passed in the days since they were disposed of in the shrubbery. The plastic bags used to wrap the body parts were from a spa shop, a common store throughout the UK 
and one was located near to where the remains were found. The bags were wrapped in commonly used black and green refuse sacks and tape. Notably, one spar bag had half a label stuck to it. Upon inspection, the plastic bags discovered in Dudhope Park were found to contain one arm, a lower leg and feet, one dressed in a stocking. A man had gone out in Dundee for some celebratory drinks on Christmas Eve. Later that night he was separated from his friends, but would soon run into Alistair Thompson. The pair went back to the ninth floor of a block of flats called Butterburn Court. It's not known exactly what happened in the events leading up to that moment, but what is known is Alistair Thompson stabbed his guest in the heart. Later, a neighbour gave evidence in court. She said she heard two people shouting. A second neighbour testified that on Boxing Day, she could hear what appeared to be DIY noises and hammering coming through the walls. Inspector Ron Wilkie addressed the press again, hoping that the public could hold information that would lead to identifying both the victim and their killer. This is a particularly macabre crime due to the dismemberment of the body, he said. Our primary objective is to identify the victim. We are really looking for the public's assistance. A detailed and specific description of the victim was relayed. He was believed to be white, 5 foot 10 or 5 foot 11 inches tall, of medium build but carried some weight around his midriff. He weighed approximately 12 stone. They said the man's fingernails were, quote, fairly long for a man and well manicured, and his hands were well looked after. The police concluded his line of work was probably not a manual trade. He had a tan and they estimated his age to be within the 30 to 50 age bracket. Authorities appealed to the public to report a friend, family member, colleague or acquaintance that fit that description, who they had not seen over Christmas. In just four days, the appeal produced around 90 responses, including one from art teacher Jim Dunbar. He was concerned about his half-brother, 52-year-old Gordon Dunbar, who had not turned up for a planned family meal on Christmas Day. An old operation scar on his stomach, DNA and fingerprints were used to prove the victim's identity. There was also evidence that he had four ribs broken at some point, but the breaks had since healed. An indentation on the wrist and a tan line showed the victim usually wore a thick band, more likely a bracelet than a watch, as the marks did not show a circular outline of a watch face. A telephone tip-off from a Perth informant led the police to Alistair Thompson. He had spent the new year with friends and had been vocal about disposing of a body. A claim they thought highly unlikely, until the news featured reports of the discovery of body parts. 
Police retrieve what appeared to be Gordon Dunbar's gold bracelet from Sarah Mills, who had been given it as a gift by Alistair Thompson. Among Alistair Thompson's possessions in his hostel, detectives investigating the killing found bloodstained clothing in a trunk under his bed. In time through DNA analysis, the blood was matched to Gordon Dunbar. Also in his room was a key, one that didn't fit the residence he was staying in. An electricity bill bore the address of a ninth floor council flat at Butterburn Court. Inside the flat, police discovered plastic bags and tape of the type used to wrap the body parts, along with a blood-stained hacksaw, a sheepskin rug covered in blood, and half a label that corresponded with the label found on one of the spa bags Gordon's remains had been wrapped in. Blood and tissue were discovered in the bathroom, in the plugs, and piping. The person listed as the tenant had left the flat some time before, but left the keys with their friend, Alistair Thompson. Proof of Thompson's presence in the room was found. A glass tumbler left in the flat was covered in fingerprints, which matched Thompson's. And it transpired that he had borrowed two hacksaws from a friend Andrew Clark, insisting he needed the tools to cut up some piping. It was only later that he would reveal his true purpose for borrowing the saws, to dispose of a body. He insisted the victim had been murdered by two men from Edinburgh, Glasgow, and he was simply disposing of it for them as a favour. His friend Andrew Clark found this incredibly difficult to believe. On January 6, 1993, Gordon Dunbar was officially named as the victim in the press. The words homosexual and gay were often the first things mentioned in the papers when describing him. It was assumed by reporters that the motivating factor for Gordon Dunbar's murder was his sexuality. Gordon Dunbar had studied architecture in Dundee, and went on to be a Dundee Corporation architect. He had a hand in designing some prestigious buildings before he changed his career path. He spent several years in France after his aunt, who he lived with as a child, passed away, leaving him a sizeable inheritance. Gordon would return to Scotland three years before he was killed. He had fallen on hard times financially, after a cafe he had set up in France failed to make a profit, and on top of that, he separated from his long-term boyfriend. He returned to Dundee, the place he grew up, and found himself living in the Anchor Guesthouse on Victoria Road, a cheap place where people down on their luck would often stay until they could afford to move on. At the time of his murder, he was unemployed. Gordon was well-liked and reliable at the guest house. The landlord Patrick Stewart had not seen his tenant for about a week. It transpired the last confirmed sighting of Gordon Dunbar had been on Christmas Eve. More details about Gordon Dunbar that could not have been known before he was identified were that he had a moustache and dark hair which was greying and receding. He wore unique clothing, 
especially for a Dundee resident, often dressed in a white silk scarf and a beige jacket. On his wrist, he always wore a chunky gold bracelet, a sentimental piece of jewellery, as he had made it from his grandfather's watch strap. During the inquiries, it emerged that the last confirmed sighting of the murdered man had been on Christmas Eve, after he left a pub in town following a few festive drinks with fellow tenants of the guesthouse at approximately 6.30pm. He had visited a bank to deposit some money earlier that day, but later that evening police found out over twice the amount put in was withdrawn from a cash point. Jim Dunbar told the investigating officers his brother had in fact previously undergone a surgery on his stomach and had suffered four broken ribs after being attacked during a mugging. After his arrest, Alistair Thompson appeared at Dundee Sheriff Court on Monday, January 11th, 1993, charged with both the murder of Gordon Dunbar and the theft of his belongings. Thompson was committed for further evaluation and he made no plea at that time. He was held in Perth jail. In May 1993, for the second time in his life, Alistair Thompson was at the High Court in Edinburgh facing murder charges. This time, Lord Weir presided over the case. Though he didn't take the stand, Thompson swore he did not kill or rob Gordon Dunbar. He again denied attempting to defeat the ends of justice, disposing of Gordon Dunbar's remains in such a way. He was sticking to his story that he dismembered Gordon's body for two unnamed, quote, heavies, who for some reason asked Thompson a stranger, to do it. The story was flimsy, but in contrast, the evidence against him was strong and there was plenty of it. Lord Weir warned the jury to prepare themselves for some rather gruesome details before viewing the photographic evidence. The pictures were taken at a post-mortem examination. Without Alistair Thompson admitting in court what happened to Gordon Dunbar on his last night alive, the Crown had to decipher the answers from his remains and the evidence. It is thought Gordon was beaten, punched and kicked before Thompson stabbed him through the heart. Several items in his possession were stolen, though it's not known whether he was mugged before or after he was attacked and murdered. Some of the items subsequently retrieved included Gordon's wallet, a gold chain, a keychain, a coat a key fob and a bank card. The crucial exhibit presented at the trial was the jacket Gordon Dunbar was often dressed in. Thompson had been seen in Dundee city centre wearing it after Gordon Dunbar was killed. A pathologist told the court that as long as a perpetrator could get past his revulsion, Dismembering a corpse wouldn't be too hard for a person without a medical background. Detective Constable Dave Sim recorded the scene at the Butterburn flat, taking photos of two bloody hacksaws, one much smaller than the other. He also recorded another jarring sight in the bathroom, 
when he saw flesh which turned out to be Gordon Dunbar's. Detective Constable Alistair McKenzie told the court that a bloody shirt, t-shirt and trousers were found in a suitcase under Thompson's bed, along with a grey skirt. James Dunlop, a forensic scientist, testified that DNA profiling had been carried out on the items collected from Alistair Thompson's room. The shirt proved to have Gordon Dunbar's DNA on it, as did the sheepskin rug found in the flat. The chance that it belonged to anyone else bar Gordon Dunbar was stated at less than 1 in 57 million. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand, and now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to scentair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at scentair.com. Sergeant Ronald Fife, who worked for Tayside Police Dog Unit, told the court how the first set of remains were found. 
he had had two police dogs in his care. He, his wife and two daughters would frequently walk the dogs, sometimes up to five times a day. They would often take them to the grassy area on Law Road. A couple of days before the discovery, they had been walking the dogs along the law and they got distracted by something near a stack of logs. Fife called the animals back. It was only when his daughter took them out to the same place a couple of days later the remains were found. She didn't have control of the dogs like her father did, so they were permitted to sniff around when they tore open the bag. Andrew Clark told the court about his contact with his friend Alistair Thompson during the Christmas period. He stated that Thompson had told him after the murder that he had disposed of Gordon's head in a skip in Kirkton, a residential housing area of Dundee. According to Clark, Thompson also said he would like to have seen the head put on a stake outside the police headquarters. Before Thompson made this admission to his friend, Clark had let Thompson borrow a hacksaw on Christmas Day, a tool Thompson said he needed for a DIY job. When he returned later saying the blade had broken, he was offered a second hacksaw, this time a smaller one, and Clark also gave him a spare blade. The next time the witness saw Thompson was when they met up three days after Christmas. Clark felt his friend seemed out of sorts and asked Thompson about it. You don't want to know, he replied. They had to dispose of a body. Andrew Clark was told two men from Glasgow, or perhaps Edinburgh, murdered the man, and Thompson did not know how they did it, though he agreed to get rid of the body for them as a favour, as he wanted something from them in return. Clark told the court, he says it was for a favour, to get his brother done over at New Year time. The story seemed outlandish to Clark, and he thought his friend was making it up. Quote, When he told me, I didn't believe him. I was just taking it all as a joke. Thompson later told Clark that some of the body parts were still in a bath, and he planned to wrap them up to leave them on the law, as it wasn't far away. Sarah Mills from Perth, another friend of the defendant, said Alistair Thompson had given her an expensive gold chain around the new year. The Dundee murder became a topic of conversation at some point, and Thompson confessed to disposing of the body. He also mentioned the head was missing, but like Andrew Clark, Sarah Mills was taking what Alistair Thompson said with a hefty pinch of salt, believing he was, quote, not that sort of person. The trial was eight days long, but it took the jury only 70 minutes to unanimously convict Alistair Thompson of the murder of Gordon Dunbar and dismembering the body in an attempt to defeat the ends of justice. Throughout the trial, Alistair Thompson stared intensely at the jury and witnesses that took the stand, a gaze some observers called evil and chilling. 
Addressing the jury following the verdict, the judge Lord Weir said, I would not have wished your task on my worst enemy. You have had to listen to sordid, distasteful and horrendous evidence. Alistair Thompson was handed a life term, with Lord Weir telling Thompson for his nauseating and barbaric crimes, he would serve a minimum of 20 years. After the court case, Carol Garvey said that her client Alistair Thompson would be lodging an appeal against his conviction. On Tuesday, August 10th, 1993, the Aberdeen Press and Journal printed further details about the crime and the perpetrator. A school friend of Alistair Thompson's, Jim Simons, was now working as a journalist. He took an interest in the case in the hope he could write a book about the events, which were then being dubbed the Headless Torso Murder. After building up a rapport with Thompson over approximately 14 interviews, Thompson scrawled the map on a small piece of paper, the back of a Kit Kat chocolate bar wrapper. The map showed him where he could find more of Gordon Dunbar's remains. As the map instructed, Jim Simons went to a Dundee Council Works depot at about 6.30pm on a Saturday night. Alone initially, in case the convicted killer was just toying with him, Simons found plastic bags where he was told they would be, and so called the police. The bags contained body parts including internal organs, an entire spinal column and a rib cage. Tests would need to be carried out to be sure they were the remains of Gordon Dunbar. Alistair Thompson still stuck by his claim that he disposed of Gordon's head in a skip in the Kirkton area of Dundee. The chances of recovering it so long after the murder were highly improbable. The police had already sifted through tons of rubbish at a landfill site as part of their initial investigation to try and recover all of Gordon's remains. Thompson had told officers that he had disposed of his victim's head in a skip in a police interview, and this was bolstered by what he had told his friends. Detective Sergeant Ian Flynn of the CID confirmed in the press that the discovery of remains was linked to Gordon Dunbar's murder. There is to be a full examination tomorrow by forensic scientists who will confirm whether this is the case or not. There is no other body under scrutiny at the moment. Forensic expert Dr James Grieve was called in from Aberdeen. He had been involved with the examination of the first remains found 18 months before, so was requested to do an examination of the newly found body parts. That same month, on August 5th, Thompson's solicitor confirmed she had submitted the paperwork for an appeal. Alistair Thompson reared his head again in 1994. Still insisting he was innocent of the murder of Gordon Dunbar, Thompson was claiming to be responsible for another crime in which another man had been convicted and was serving time in prison, just over seven months before Gordon Dunbar was murdered. 
On May 2nd, 1992, there was an incident in Liverpool outside of the Buzz nightclub on Renshaw Street. Thompson claimed, quote, I cannot allow a man to serve a sentence for a crime I committed. I remember seeing someone I thought I knew struggling with three police. A woman officer had him in a chokehold and I just waded in. A police constable was stabbed with a pocket knife in the incident and 36-year-old health club owner Ray Hargraves was jailed for five years for the crime. While he was inside, Hargraves had an additional eight years added to his sentence for a separate crime involving drugs. Thompson, Hargraves and Thompson's brother were out drinking in Liverpool and were questioned on the night of the stabbing. Ultimately, it was Hargraves who was arrested and charged for the incident. A police spokesperson said, We will take another look at the case. It is surprising because Thompson had ample opportunity to clear Hargraves at the time. In his book, The Law Killers, True Crime from Dundee, author Alexander McGregor wrote that the Courier newspaper received a handwritten letter from Alistair Thompson shortly after he was convicted. In the correspondence, he claimed he was not only innocent for murdering Gordon Dunbar, but also innocent of killing his grandmother Margaret. Ultimately, the Courier decided not to publish the lengthy correspondence, from which an extract read, The jury reached a verdict, and though I could argue it was the wrong one, I cannot but accept it, and in accepting it, I accept that I am likely to die in prison. There is nothing else that can be done to me than that, and it is a punishment I would not wish on my worst enemy. A date was set for Alistair Thompson's appeal to be heard by three judges at the Edinburgh Court of Appeal, December 17, 1994. The appeal judges thought his 20-year sentence was just, and the submission to have his sentence reduced was rejected. Only five days earlier on December 12th, Jim Dunbar, Gordon's brother, received an unexpected letter from Alistair Thompson. Somehow the prisoner had found out where Jim Dunbar lived. The contents of the letter read as follows. I am not writing to apologise for what happened, for I know that no apology from me would be acceptable. Though for what it's worth, I am deeply sorry for what happened and for all the pain and anguish. The purpose of this letter, Mr Dunbar, is to offer you as full an explanation as is possible of the events of Christmas 1992. I would have written long before now, but it was my lawyer's advice that I not discuss until after my appeals were finished. The explanation I offer is in no way an attempt to excuse myself. I shall die in prison, Mr Dunbar, justified or not, and as such there is little anyone can do to harm me. I have nothing to gain and nothing to lose, Mr Dunbar. I offer you only what you are entitled to know, and only I can or will tell you. There were and are questions that needed answers, and I would seek to answer them. However, Mr Dunbar, before I can tell you the full story of the events of Christmas 1992, I must know that they will go no further.
Jim Dunbar notified a solicitor to ensure no more correspondence from Alistair Thompson could be sent to his home. The police were also informed and they assured Jim Dunbar that Alistair Thompson would never be contacting him directly again. So where are we now? During the middle of 2002, a delegation from St. Peter's School in Aberdeen travelled to Toronto, Canada to attend a World Youth Day festival. There they would be getting the chance to meet the Pope, John Paul II. The school children would be wearing t-shirts with a cross logo designed by Alistair Thompson from his prison cell in Porterfield Prison in Venice. Thompson, who had now found God, was reported as saying, I feel touched to have my design accepted as appropriate to represent Christian youth in Scotland and Canada. It has been a tremendous honour for me, especially as I am of the Protestant faith. A number of the tabloids reported on the events with a member of the Aberdeen Diocesan Youth Service, Marie Cook, defending the decision to include the design by a multiple murderer. She stated, What Alistair Thompson has done in his life is not the issue. He is paying his price to society. He is using his talents for Christ. We will be proud to wear the logo at all the events in Toronto. Gordon Dunbar's jacket was eventually returned to his brother Jim. Jim Dunbar, an established and talented artist, painted the jacket and named the piece Crown Production 18. He sold it to an anonymous buyer in Perth. He wasn't sure if the person who purchased it was aware of the jacket's history or significance. Jim Dunbar spoke about his brother to the Evening Telegraph. When I cross the Tay Road Bridge and see the profile of Dundee and the law, I can't help but think of my brother. Once it is out of view, it goes to the back of my mind, but it doesn't go away. Gordon is still in my mind every day. I can't ever forget about it. You just deal with it the best you can. In 2013, the 25-storey Butterburn Court flats were demolished. Three years earlier, Alistair Thompson died in his cell at Perth Prison in 2010. He was 61 years old and had served almost 17 years of his 20-year minimum sentence. Prison officers entered Thompson's cell on a December morning and found the prisoner cold and stiff. Thompson had a history of health issues including lung disease, celiac disease and hypothyroidism. He had also previously suffered a heart attack. Atherosclerotic hardening and narrowing of the arteries was found to be the cause of Alistair Thompson's death. 
Jim Dunbar was quoted as saying, It was a great relief to us when Thompson died in prison. The whole family was worried because he was so close to his time for release. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to this week's Patreon producer, Tony G. Before we end this episode, I would like to tell you about another true crime podcast that we love. Court Junkie covers American court cases and criminal trials using audio clips and interviews. Some episodes include the case of a man who admitted to dismembering his father's body, but he swears at trial that he did not kill him. The case of a woman who was charged with murder after she pushed her husband, causing him to fall out of a high-rise building. And the case of a man who spent 32 years in prison for a murder he says he didn't commit, and had his conviction vacated, only to be retried again. Court Junkie is available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Details on this episode can be found in the show notes or on our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.